Exodus 20, verse 12, simply says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then Hebrews chapter 5, every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes his honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So, Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of all eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. We trust that God will bless his word to us. Okay, well, honor your father and mother, fifth commandment. That's what we're thinking about this morning. And uh, we're really going to jump right in and uh, say a number of things that sort of paint the picture and the context of this uh, commandment. First thing that we want to say is that this is a commandment that is about authority. Authority. We're going to talk about this uh, for a little while, and the importance of authority uh, within our lives and within our, uh, our, our world. Uh, he, here's a quote. I wonder, do you know who said this or when it was said? Uh, our youth now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for their elders. They love chatter in the place of exercise. They, they no longer rise when elders enter the room they contradict their parents. They chatter before company. They gobble up their food, and they tyrannize their teachers. Well, you might think that was last week's Daily Mail, but it was said by Socrates 2,400 years ago. You can't help but wonder what he would do if he was around now. Um, it appears that the human race has always had this issue with authority. We've struggled with authority. Each generation does that. And this commandment speaks into that because God has designed us to live under authority. At first glance, this just likes, looks like a commandment that's to do with mums and dads and, and, and children and so on. But down through the history of the church, this commandment has been understood to have a much wider reference to authority structures within our society. The larger catechism, one of our subordinate standards, talks about this. Question 124, it says, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? And the answer comes back, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, 
or commonwealth. So God, you see, this commandment is, is saying, has designed us to live under authority. He places all sorts of authorities in our lives, from governments to bosses at work to church authorities, and then particularly significantly, parents. Now, this is very, very much contrary to the spirit of the age in which we live. You, you'll know that one of the central planks of critical theory that underlines so much of, of the thinking of this age is that, that any authority is a sort of an abuse of power, and, and, and that all of these abusive authorities should be dismantled. And so, the world is very much saying, no one has the right to tell us what to do or who to be. You've got to be your own authority. External authority should be questioned and challenged and overthrown, whether that's police or government or our boss or our school teacher or whatever. That's the, the sort of underlying uh, thinking. And of course, one of those authorities that is keen to be dismantled or that folk are keen to have dismantled in some ways is the family. And yet, God has designed us to function under a number of authorities. That's how our world is supposed to work. Now, now, why do we find this difficult? Why is it that we kick against authority? Well, the Bible helps us, of course, to understand that. It, it tells us that we are rebels at heart. We, we naturally tend to rebel against God, and as we do that, part of the overflow of that rebellion leads us to rebel against other authorities too. Now, there are times in histories in different places where where societies are, are further along that uh, issue than others. There are times that God restrains uh, societies, but, but we see it working out in one way or another, the, the outworking of what it says about us in Romans chapter 1. Though they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. We, we, we rebel against God. We say, I don't want Him to rule over me. And then we add to that, as it were, as we work that out, we say, now, I say, I don't want anybody to rule over me. I want to be the boss of me. And, and one of the ways, perhaps, that we can understand the work of Satan in our age, do you ever, do you ever wonder why, you know, you read the New Testament and, and uh, there, there are all these sorts of issues with demons being cast out and all sorts of uh, uh, supernatural things, and you think, well, that seemed to be very, very active then, uh, but it doesn't look as if Satan's much at work now, but that would be wrong to think that. He is at work in, in a very subtle way, but a very, in a, in a sense, successful way. <clears throat> and one of his tactics at the moment is to, to overthrow rightful authority within our world. So he whispers into ears that want to hear. He whispers, no one has the right to tell you what to do, remember. You need to submit to no one. Some of you experience this, the outworking of this in, in schools, your, your, your teachers or classroom assistants, and, and you know that as you look back over the years, your, your authority as a teacher has just been hugely changed and diminished, and you wonder, where will it end? Some of you experience this in the workplace. You, you operate with workers. Perhaps you've been in a workplace for some time, and, and you operate with, with workers now alongside you who it seems just feel increasingly entitled, and you actually find that the bosses that you used to, to tremble before at times now seem to be just apologizing to people all the time. And what's going on? Well, for years, Satan has been just whispering into hearts that want to hear, nobody has the right to tell you what to do. 
And why does he do that? Does he, does he love the chaos it produces in our society? I'm sure he does. But more than that, he is making it really difficult for people to submit to God. Because once that, that mantra, no one has the right to tell you what to do, you submit to nobody, once that is deeply ingrained in the human heart, then the idea of bowing before God and saying, Lord, you are Lord, you are the boss of me, well, that seems incredibly alien. So, you see, God has designed us to live under authority, but we, we naturally resist it. Well, is there anything anywhere in society that, that tends against that, that works against that? Where are we rebels to learn that there is such a good thing as authority, or there can be a good authority? Well, the answer is, in God's design, the family. God is has designed that the family would be a place where we would experience what we might want to call a benevolent authority, a kind authority, a loving, a loving authority, an authority that is a joy to submit to. It's in the family, you see, that we learn that we're not the center of the universe. It's in the family that we learn that we don't always get what we want. And actually, as we look back on it, we realize that was a good thing. And of course, what we're seeing today is that that is corrupted often and that, that in some cases, children are not learning authority in families. It, children are becoming the authority in families. You know, so we say to little uh, Nigel, <laughs> uh, uh, desperately thinking of somebody that I wouldn't offend, so I'll just offend myself. And, and uh, we, we say to little Nigel, well, you know, what would you like to do today, Nigel? And Nigel's too. And, and uh, would you like to go to play grip today? No. Would you like to go to church today? No. Well, we didn't want to come today because Nigel said no. You know? Here's what one book, uh, The Gospel-Centered Family, uh, says. Here's a great quote. Um, here it is. Uh, Don't let your child rule the home. If you do, you'll be teaching them that they are a king in their lives. They're not. It won't prepare them for wider social interaction, and it won't prepare them to meet the King. And so, so parents are to show children that it is a good thing to live under authority. And that's why this commandment is where it is. Parents are, are to prepare the way for every new generation to, to meet the king. It's, it's not a domineering authority. It's a gracious authority. It's a benevolent authority. Because God's rule is a benevolent rule, isn't it? God, after all, sends his son to die for us. The, the king is the one on the cross for his enemies. The story of the prodigal son shows us that God is a gracious father who, who welcomes his wayward children. You see, it's a gracious authority, and, and, and children are to experience that there is such a thing as gracious authority within a family. So, if you're a parent who's dealing with a stroppy toddler or a rebellious teenager, both are to learn that to live under authority is, is, is a good thing, and they're to get a picture somehow of the God who who welcomes his enemies, who even gives his life for his enemies, but continues to rule. So again, that, that, that book says, that the gospel-centered family, your number one aim as a parent is to show how great it is to live under the God's reign of love. 
Now, I've just convinced every teenager in this congregation that they're really grateful that they're not uh, living in our family, and, and uh, I'm sure uh, that's probably uh, absolutely uh, justified. Now, now, we should see that the, the, com- the placement of this command is really important. We sometimes talk about the two uh, tables of the law, you know, and and the first four are to do with our vertical duty, our duty to God, and the the, the second six to do with our duty to man. And this one is the sort of the bridge, uh, the vertical and the horizontal. Uh, The vertical moves to the horizontal here, and you see that that, that where is it that we're to learn our duty to man? Well, it's in the family. Where where are we to be prepared for our duty to God? It's, It's in the family. We, we learn this basic truth that we're not God, and that helps us as we relate to God and as we relate to each other. And that's why disobedience to parents is seen as such a, a big thing within the Bible. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It is, it is, mar- it is listed against those lists of, of awful things that really break down society and, and, uh, and so on. So, for example, Romans 1 uh, talks about a rebellious society. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. And then it says, they disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. It's a big deal in the Scriptures. To Timothy, the same. Mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, and so on. You see this overthrow of God's established authority is a mark of the desire to overthrow God Himself. And of course, one of the marks of a culture in trouble is that it takes elements of godless culture and it makes them trendy. And we see that today, don't we? Now, there's a, there's a promise attached to this commandment. It's, it's uh, referred to in the Scripture as the only commandment with a promise. And, and uh, you see the promise that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, now this doesn't mean, of course, that, that those who… Uh, obey their parents, live longer than those who don't. That would be an encouraging motivation, I suppose. But but what it is promising is a widespread blessing to the people where this commandment is upheld. It's a promise that they enjoy together. In the first context, it, it went along with obedience to God. It meant that they would stay in the land. But more generally, it's a, it's a command that, that a stable, to show that a stable family life is one of those building blocks of, of good society. Families are the building blocks of society. So, so this is what, what the family is for, and this provides the, the, the sort of the, the backdrop to this commandment. It's, it's where that we, we learn that authority can be a loving and a good thing, and it's good to submit to it. So, in the light of all of that, what are we to do? What does this commandment uh, press upon us? Well, three things, and here they are. We're to honor our parents, we're to create a culture, and we're to rest in Jesus. I'll not take long on these, but uh, we bit longer in the first one. Honor our parents. Now, perhaps here we need to say that when we talk about the family, 
being a place of benevolent authority, it may be the case that that's not been your experience. Maybe, for some of us, our experience has been of parents abusing the position of trust that they were in. And so all of this today is really painful for us. It might be, for example, that it's left you really struggling to relate to God as Father. It might be that you, you, you have buried lots of memories or emotions, and yet you, you, you realize that they are damaging you in other ways. And, and what you have faced is, is known by God, and, and we've got to say it matters to Him because you matter to Him. And I've got to say, too, that all of these things then raise matters that are so complex that I'm not sure we can really address them here, but, but I really would encourage you to talk to someone about them. I'd be happy to do that or to put you in touch with someone who can help you work that through. Really important that you, you know that if this has happened, if something really significant has happened that has, has meant that you've had a dreadful experience of family, that, that it should not have happened, and that there are ways in the grace of God to, to perhaps begin to diminish some of the hold that that has on you. So, so there are folk, I'm sure there are folk like that who are listening today. But, but for, for us, for whom that has not been such a significant issue, family's not perfect, but, but functioning to some degree, let, let's move on and think, what does it mean to, to honor <clears throat> our, our parents? Well, well this is a, a word, of course, that honor that's, that's used with the idea of weight, heaviness. And it's saying here, uh, give them the weight that is due to them. Let their worth and their value rest upon you with some impact. Remember we said a few weeks ago that we talked about the weightlessness of God in our culture, that, that His, His, His weight does not rest on us as it should. And, and this is saying, look, look, give your parents that significance. Don't let them be of no consequence to you. In the early years, whenever we're children, whenever we're little, it's to be characterized by obedience, not an unquestioning obedience. If your dad is using you in this drug-running operation to stand at the corner and, and, and keep lookout, you perhaps want to challenge that eventually. Um, but, but, but nevertheless, obedience generally. Children are, are told many times in the Bible to obey their parents. They're so, so that's, that's how that honoring looks in the early days. Obedience does not continue. It's not in, in, enjoined upon children, adult children. Sometimes parents have sought to exercise that control far beyond where they should. But there is that continuing honor. It doesn't mean that we always agree with parents. Sometimes we will disagree with them very significantly, but we can maintain a relationship, we hope, and honor them even in the midst of that. If you're in a position where you disagree with your parents over something, even if it's a matter of real conviction to you, find ways in which you can yet honor them in the Lord. Don't let one area of disagreement blind you to all that there is to give thanks for. Don't let it lead you to break this commandment when you could perhaps do so much more to keep it. 
One of the writers on this points out this is the only commandment with a time limit because there will come a time when we may have no more opportunity to obey this commandment and honor our parents. We can perhaps honor their memory, but we'll not have the opportunity to do that face to face. Many of us are keenly aware of that. And there's maybe something then to say here about how we care for elderly parents. The Bible speaks about that as well. It's part of this honoring. It's a working out of the honoring to uh, the position of the elderly widow. It says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Doesn't necessarily mean caring for them in your own home, but it will mean practical ways in which you, you put yourself out so that their day-to-day -day situation is improved as they get older. Honor your father and mother. The second thing is create a culture, and that talks about what we do as a church family together. John Stott used to talk about uh, the church as God's new society where people were living by His Word and were creating this new society that was very different than the world. And, and, and what would that look like in relation to this question? Well, it might be a place where, for example, young people spoke well of their parents, even whenever the trend in the world, if you're a young person, is to sort of set yourself against the generation that's above you. What about the place of those who are older in our church family? Remember that longer catechism answer said, not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts. So, in other words, God's new society, what He is building and should be building here within these four walls, God's new society is a place where those ahead of us in years are honored. They're not discounted or ignored. It's a, it's a wonderful thing on a Sunday night here, and sometimes after church on a Sunday morning, but it, it's a wonderful thing on a Sunday night to look across the body of the church and to see lots of people, groups of people sitting, chatting all over the church. But you know when it's particularly special? Whenever you see groups of younger people talking to some of those who are older, because that's how it's meant to be. The Bible talks about having spiritual fathers and mothers. Maybe you no longer have a natural parent. Maybe they are not living in this part of the world. Maybe your relationship with them is, is really damaged. Can you build relationships of spiritual parentage with those who are superior in age to you? create a culture that is not like this world. And then the last thing is rest in Jesus, rest in Jesus. These, these commandments are, are like a mirror to us, aren't they? They, they? You hold them up and you begin to look at them, and initially you, you sort of glance in the mirror and you think, oh, everything's okay, you know, I've, I'm doing all right here. And then you begin to look at it more closely, and just as it happens whenever you look in the mirror more closely, you begin to see the flaws more evidently, don't you? And you begin to realize, goodness, there are so many ways in which I fall short of this, so many ways in which I've broken this, things I've got to ask forgiveness for, maybe things that we've got to trust God for in relation to our families. But 
you know, we've got to rest in Jesus because Jesus is for families. And he's for, he's for broken families. God is for broken families. Don't we see that as we read through the stories of the Scriptures, God is at work in the most dysfunctional families. You know, we talk about the, the heroes of the Bible sometimes. That's not a word that we should probably use, but we know what it means. And, and then we begin to, to probe into the, 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 the family setting that they came from, and we think, goodness, what a mess. God, God was at work in this hugely messy family, bringing grace and hope and a future. He's able to do that, you see. And it's amazing that he should do that, that God should roll up his sleeves, as it were, and get stuck into the messiness of your family and mine. And yet that's what he does. Indeed, he does more than that. As we were reading in Hebrews, Jesus comes out of the glory of heaven and steps into a little family. In that little family with Joseph and Mary and his brothers and sisters, he was misunderstood. They thought him mad at times. But he kept this commandment. He honored his earthly father and mother. And at the same time, as we read in Hebrews, he perfectly obeyed his heavenly father. So much so that it was as basic to him as his food. In one place he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He, he honored his father, earthly father and mother. He obeyed his heavenly father. He, his obedience was to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you see, if you ask the question, as with any of these commandments, who has obeyed the fifth commandment perfectly and fully? Well, there's really only one answer, isn't there? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, he, he obeyed that for, for us. And so, you know, what we often say, you know, nobody goes to bed at the end of the day and says, well, I really, I really crushed it as a mother today. I, I really crushed it as a father today. I, I did such a super job as a dad today. Don't you get into bed and think, oh, dear, how do you do this? And at that point, you've you got to rest in Jesus the one who perfectly obeyed this commandment for you. And because of his obedience, you see, there's hope for us. There's hope for us if we're children who have failed, if we're parents who have failed, if we're just people who have failed, which we are. Jesus is the one who has kept this commandment, and he did it for we who can't and haven't. So, we need to rest in Him. The Bible says, honor your father and mother.